Are you ready to have an open and honest discussion about sex and spiritual wellness without secrets, censorship, or barriers? This is Unbuckled with your host, Christy Ann Bella. In this program, there are no topics that are off the table, from religion to health, feelings to sexuality. Get ready to hear from some incredible people. And now, here's Christy Ann Bella. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and you are listening to Unbuckled. And today we are unbuckling the world of theta healing and men's work and and plant medicine and all kinds of juicy stuff around our subconscious. And uh, my guest taking us down this wonderful trip is Edward Duell. Hello, Edward. Welcome. Thank you, Christy. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so I had the pleasure of meeting, well, actually we've never met in person, uh, um, friends of mine highly recommended you, um, a friend of mine that was doing men's work with you and, and some combo, uh, work and, and a friend of mine did theta healing. And I was like, what is this theta healing? And she's like, it's like therapy, but all like in this like dream state. And I was like, fascinated by the idea. Um, and I have to say it has been some of the most like pinpoint work of all the therapies and things that I've done. It just like, it just really kind of like targets in and just like gets right into the shit. (laughs) Um, and thus, you know, makes for great, uh, change that, um, that, yeah, I feel like it, it would take years of talk therapy to, to maybe even, attempt to access some of the stuff that, that, um, that I've tapped into with you in a short amount of time. So if you will give kind of a, uh, Cliff's notes version as it were, uh, as to what is theta healing? I can do that. Um, theta healing is a, it's an energy healing system that was channeled, I believe in the late 1970s, it might've been early 1980s. Anyway, it was a woman named Viana Stiebel. She um, is located out of Montana in the United States. And she channeled this system of healing. And for her, it largely started off as physical healing. The story goes, like the origin story goes, is that she was able to work through and ultimately reverse some pretty serious physical uh, impairments that she was suffering from at the time. It was the evolution, again, as I understand it, of um, a healing modality that she had been working with. And she was in a state of uh, deep and visceral connection with Mm -hmm. her higher power, which she refers to as the creator of all that is, just non-denominational beyond duality, the Mm -hmm. source of all, um, pardon me. So she was able to be tuned in enough to channel this system and started working with more and more and more people over time and then began to teach this to other Mm -hmm. people and ultimately wrote many, many, many books. I mean, I think there's at least a dozen theta healing books that have come through this system. Now I myself began to learn theta healing in 2000. It was either 15 or 16 was my first course with a Mm -hmm. local woman here in San Diego, whose name is Alexis Davis. That's my primary teacher in this work. And I was drawn to it with just, uh, it was just like kind of following the breadcrumb trail and found my way to this teacher. Um, So what theta healing is, what this system is, 
is it allows the practitioner to access a um, the theta brainwave, which is the brainwave that we are in when we dream. Okay. And a healthy child raised in a safe environment will be in theta until about the age of six years old. Now, it is largely agreed upon that dreams are the language of the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And because we are in theta when we are dreaming, Mm -hmm. it is my opinion and the way I describe it is that this is the brainwave upon which the sub and unconscious mind explains itself, describes its stories, gets across the messages that are being deeply, deeply held. If you look at the pyramid of consciousness, pretty much every model I've ever looked at Mm -hmm has the conscious mind as 12%. It is literally just the tip of the iceberg. Like what we think we know to be true, to Mm -hmm. be our consciousness, is barely a glimpse of everything that's going on up there. So we've got 88% in the unconscious and subconscious mind. Carl Jung famously said, and I might be slightly paraphrasing here, but I think it's very close to a direct quote, Until we make the unconscious conscious, it will rule our lives and we will call it fate. (laughs) What this system allows the practitioner client to do, because it really is, as you know, it really is a co-creation. So um, what this allows the practitioner and client to do is to access the client's subconscious and unconscious mind in a waking state and do belief work, which is essentially consciousness reprogramming and repatterning in real time. A very easy description that I've been using for a while that seems to be working with people is human beings, we need story. We need story. We are meaning making machines and we make meaning through story. We are doing it all the time, Mm -hmm. every second of every day. We're doing it in our dreams. We're doing it in our waking state. We, I like to say that we are the actor, the director, Mm -hmm. the playwright, the audience, and the critic all in one. And this is all just this rich story of our lives Mm -hmm. that is constantly being written, even when we're not aware of it. It is impossible to have stories without beliefs and belief systems. Mm -hmm. It is literally impossible. You have to have beliefs. You have to have belief systems in order to have story. I like to liken everyone's life story to a spinal column. Mm. And just like a spinal column has vertebrae, and if those vertebrae are out, the body is not supported Mm. in that area. A person's spinal column of their life story has Mm. vertebrae that are constructed of beliefs and belief systems. Mm -hmm. And just like in a physical spinal column, when there is a a vertebrae that is out of alignment, the body's not supported, When there is a belief or a belief system that is out of alignment, a person will feel unsupported in that area of their lives. And these misalignments will show up in real life, will be reflected back to the person in real life misalignments, in repeating situations, in messages that come through again and again Mm -hmm. and get louder and louder and louder until a person addresses it. So what we are able to do in this modality is literally do this subconscious and unconscious repatterning work 
through what is called um, the downloading and command process. Mm -hmm. Now, this is permission-based work 100% of the time. As you know, Christy, I will need my client's permission upwards of 60 to 70 times in a session in order to do this. I think that's part and parcel of the power of Theta Healing is it is so co-creative and consensual and interactive the entire time. Mm -hmm. So to give the listeners a really quick example of this, a very, very common misaligned, distorted belief system that I see in my clients is around uh, scarcity and abundance. Uh, Most people, most people I find have some set of issues around scarcity and Mm -hmm. abundance. So say I was working with a client and I located some scarcity mentality, some unconscious and subconscious belief systems around scarcity mentality that would show up as the belief there's not enough to go around. Mm -hmm. So I would say, permission to pull, release, clear, cancel, send to the light, there's not enough to go Mm -hmm. around. The person, if they're on board with that, they're like, yep, I do not want to believe that anymore. They say, yes. Okay. So we literally pull, release, Mm -hmm. clear, cancel that. We're literally eliminating it from that person's consciousness. And then we do the downloading work. So Mm -hmm. let's turn the dial 180 degrees on that belief. What's the positive version of that belief? There is enough to go around. Okay. Permission to download you with there's enough to go around. You can't just rewrite a person's story with them without teaching the body of consciousness what it feels like to have that belief. So then we do the feeling work after that. I know what it feels like to have this belief. It's possible for me to have this belief. I know what it feels like to live in an abundant world. I know how to live in an abundant world. It's possible for me to live in an abundant world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to speak to your point of the precision of it, I mean, that's the word mm-hmm. that I would use to attach to your description of it. Mm-hmm. Is it literally just gets right down to it. The way I look at it is this, and this is how I'm shown in Theta Healing, because it does come through uh, typically as clairsentient, clairaudient, and clairvoyant messages. Right. And beliefs are stacked, just like vertebrae are stacked. Yeah. So I compare it to a... Um, Jenga block, if you remember that game, Jenga, right? And Mm -hmm. so that precision and that way that Theta Healing is able to get in and do what can feel like a lot of work Mm -hmm. very quickly. I mean, I'm paraphrasing what you said, but what I thought I heard you say was essentially that you felt you were able to accomplish in a short amount of time what could have potentially taken years in traditional therapy. Now, the reasoning for that, in my opinion, as a practitioner is now, as a practitioner, I am often shown the structure yeah. of a person's belief system mm-hmm. in which they are really at the end of it. It comes down to guarding their own sense of safety and significance. Mm-hmm. And that's from my teacher, Kevin Walton. All human beings desire to be safe and significant. Mm-hmm. And we will literally construct our belief systems around that, even to our detriment and often to our detriment, because it's often the devil we know versus the devil we don't. And the devil we don't know is the unknown. Mm -hmm. Even if that means us living in a healthier incarnation of ourselves, the devil we do know Mm -hmm. is the known, even if that's deeply, deeply uncomfortable, constricting, restrictive, and doesn't feel good, Mm -hmm. at least it's familiar to us. And it gives us some sense of control Mm -hmm. because we know what to do with it what we might actually want, what our souls might actually be calling us to, 
might be healthier, more aligned, Mm -hmm. more abundant, more expressive, but it's the unknown. Mm -hmm. So we guard it. And that is usually what's sitting at the bottom of this nest of the Jenga blocks of belief. And this precise, empowered work comes from when it is the right moment, the practitioner can get down to that bottom Jenga block that's holding up the Mm -hmm. whole thing and just, just pull it out. And then you get like 15, 20 belief systems on top of it completely collapsing Mm -hmm. because they need this bottom belief system to support it. And that is the part, one of the big um, drivers behind this work and one of the ways that it works really, really deeply. Now, it is important in this line of work, especially as a practitioner, to note that sometimes it's not the right thing to go to that belief right away. Mm -hmm. I will often... I will be shown sometimes with my clients, I'll be shown that belief in the beginning of a session. We might not get to it until an hour later. We might not get to it until three sessions later because it can sometimes be too jarring for the person to even go to that belief, much less begin to move that belief around or address that belief or alchemize that belief. So sometimes you have to do, I mean, essentially what we're doing is pruning back the bush to get to the root. So we work on the, we work on the beliefs that are stacked on top Mm -hmm. of that belief because it's a gentler approach. It's a more digestible approach. So we pull this belief, then we pull the bottom belief. We let that integrate. Then we pull the bottom belief and we slowly get down to that, what we call core belief. These are core beliefs that are the root system Mm -hmm. of the weeds of belief in our life that sully the garden of literally the garden of paradise that is available to us vis-a-vis our thought and perception every moment of every day. So good. I love it. Um, so much to unpack there. Uh, one of the things I thought was, you know, you talked about like a child who was safe and whatever. I was like, where is this child? Cause I don't know anyone whose childhood was was like that. Um, so Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about this idea that you're in this theta state up until like five or six years old, and I would guess, you know, the greater majority of us did not have some healthy, safe childhood environment. Is that where some of these beliefs start to take root then at, at this time when your subconscious is being programmed at that young? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And some of them even pre-verbal. Some yeah. of them even pre-verbal, you know, um, and these are the ones, um, again, these are the root beliefs. These are what we would call core beliefs. And they, again, they were a way for a person, especially a young person to find mm-hmm. safety and significance. You know, another really, really, really common one, see it all the time. Children are meant to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. How many people grew up in a household yeah. with that children are meant to be seen and not heard, mm-hmm. you know, um, the father figure comes home and suddenly the entire house is walking on eggshells, that type of environment, which is all too common. I didn't grow up in that environment, thank God, but I remember going over to friends' houses where it was like, whoa, dad came home and everything got real serious and kind of scary all of a sudden, you know? Um, So that children that grows up with, okay, children are meant to be seen and not heard, that's a way to get their needs met as a child. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll shut up and I'll be a good boy. I'll be a good girl that child grows into an adult that has no idea how to speak their truth that swallows their words. You know, again, these things that once kept us safe now keep us small Mm -hmm. and we tend to defend them at all costs. There's a, um, 
a beautiful mentor of mine. His name is Bill Plotkin. He's a wilderness rites of passage guide and a psychologist as well. He started the Animus Valley Institute in Colorado doing lots of uh, wilderness rites of passage work, yeah. and deep psychological repatterning. And he calls them loyal soldiers. And he talks mm -hmm. about how these are things that are created by us in order to defend ourselves and keep us safe. And they are loyal to us to a fault. And this is actually based on a real historical event that occurred in Japan after World War II. Years after the war ended, they were finding AWOL soldiers either in pairs or totally alone who had essentially been in survivalist situations since the war, living out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And as they began to find them, what they were doing at first was they were bringing them back into society and you know, making sure they got the care that they needed and thanking them for their service and essentially retiring them. You know, They give mm. them the medal and retire them. And um, they were killing themselves with that approach they were killing themselves because yeah. the only thing that was keeping them alive was the thought that they were living for the defense of japan mm. they were living to fight in this war this was yeah. all that they had and they realized this quickly the the powers that be that were bringing these soldiers back in and what they realized was it wasn't just enough to bring them back into society and give them their retirement medal and yeah. send them back to the grandkids they had to bring them back into society. They had to continually remind them the war is over. The war is yeah. over. The war is over. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And then the important part was they had to reassign them. They had mm. to give them another job. Yeah. And the same thing goes for these loyal soldiers that we create within ourselves. We have to locate them. We get the opportunity to bring them back home to the heart right. to Thank them for the thank you for your service. Thank you for keeping me safe. Thank you for keeping me safe. The war is over. Yeah. The war is over. And then we reassign them. And this is not something that is done once. Right. It's something that mm -hmm. it's not like a one and done deal. Mm -hmm. This is work that once it is identified uh, in my personal experience doing this work and in the experience of my clients, yeah. it uh, sometimes requires what I call a fresh coat of paint. You right. just got to go back over it again, you know? Yeah. Um, so that really, that's, that really informs a lot of my mm -hmm. approach as a Theta healing practitioner is the reunification of self right. with self, bringing all the parts home and reparenting. Yeah. This integration, um, which I imagine, you know, it, it's tricky. I, I, I still catch myself in, in old stories um, because we come to identify with them so much. Even like you said, if it's something that we don't want anymore, it's like I've built so much around this. If I take it out, then then where am I? Um, so in the alchemy, do you, how do you see the physical correlation to stories that we hold on to and and alchemizing them, um, how does that show up in, in our actual physical selves, kind of outside of the, the subconscious or unconscious mind? Like, where do you see it showing up in a... How will it manifest physically, you mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, I see that all the time. Um, I Largely because of the other modalities that I work with. I mean, mm -hmm. outside of Theta Healing, I also have a, a, 
a vibrant and very, very busy coaching practice. Mm -hmm. And I serve um, combo, which is the Amazonian frog medicine, mm -hmm. which is not a psychedelic, it's a purgative. Um, so largely because of my practice as a combo practitioner, I do get a certain population of my clientele who is approaching my practice with uh, mm -hmm. physical malaise that often takes place in the form of autoimmune disorders, mm -hmm. those kind of question mark diseases that mm -hmm. Western medicine kind of will throw different diagnoses and pills at without necessarily having any answers. And for the record, I am not anti-Western medicine. I think it absolutely has its place and its mm -hmm. time. I'm, I'm about a healthy merger of many modalities. Um, so to bring it back to your question, I mean, the number one thing that I see that with is with autoimmune clients. Yeah. You know, these autoimmune clients have um, often at the root, at the base of that is a story or many stories, but it is often essentially a larger story with many sub belief systems in it. I personally believe that every um, physical manifestation of dis-ease right. begins in the mind. Yeah. And begins in the emotions. I, I absolutely believe that. And I'm in that way, I believe in a, in a holistic, multifaceted approach to healing. Yeah. Um, so let's get into combo. I, I love how you uh, brought that up because there are many types of plant medicine and um, I haven't had the opportunity yet to do combo. I've done other plant medicines that you, you know, said there is a difference between the psychedelic and um, the combo is purge. What was that word you just used? Purgative. Purgative. Um, so yeah, so I've had experience with plant medicine, uh, uh, mushrooms, um, specifically and found it incredibly healing. Um, and, and again, just kind of untangling old stories, old beliefs, old ideas, uh, getting in touch with a, an energy that was bigger than myself that reminded me I was love. Um, so when you talk about, um, combo, what, and, and this Amazonian frog medicine, what exactly are, is that experience? Uh, well, it is, as I mentioned, it is a very strong purgative. Um, combo itself is the secretion from an Amazonian tree frog named, it's uh, the Phylomedusae bicolor is the species, the giant waxy monkey tree frog. Um, it is, it's been traditionally applied for, you know, who's to say how many thousands of years. This is very traditional mm -hmm. indigenous medicine. Um, it is applied through burns on the skin. The secretion of the frog is uh, dried on a stick and it is then re reconstituted with water. And it is made into these little um, dots, essentially they're called points and they're applied to burns on the skin that are called gates. Now an initial application would typically be on the arm or the ankle. My specific practice in my follow-up uh, sessions when people come back in for second, third, fourth and beyond treatments, we're talking about using different point placement of these gates, these combo burns for mm -hmm. the combo secretion to be applied all over the body using meridian mapping. So I use traditional mm -hmm. Chinese acupuncture mapping, um, meridian mapping, acupuncture points, auricular points on the ear, chakra placement on the spine, and also uh, mapping with the Vedic system of meridian mapping, which are known as nadi lines and marma points. And in this way, each the placement of the points, it directly deals with the emotional spiritual corollary that is related to that specific acupuncture point right. marma point or chakra um mm -hmm. what this does is it induces a roughly 30 per 
30 minute process of purging. The combo purging process takes five different avenues. That is shaking purge, sweating purge, toy purges, vomit purges, and emotional purges. It completely hijacks the person's body in that it is going to initiate a physical and physiological process that is best to not be fought, but rather surrendered to. That looks like an elevated heart rate, not in that it's faster, but it is a harder heart rate. So boom, boom, boom. Um, Swelling in the face because of the um, vasodilation uh, process that occurs in some of the peptides. Constriction in the throat because of that same vasodilation that occurs in some of the peptides. Because what combo is, is it actually contains... uh, they keep locating more, but in the original research, it was nine peptides, which are short chains of amino acids. Mm-hmm. They actually have five bioactive peptides yeah. in combo. And what those are, are um, bioactive means they break through the blood brain barrier. So the body allows them right into the brain. So these actually, these peptides have been studied since combo came to the West in 1985. There's a lot of very, very legitimate research on the combo peptides. So that's what is sparking these effects in the human body. Um, temperature fluctuations, as I mentioned, sweating becomes a purge. Um, nausea, as I mentioned, we're talking about vomiting becomes a purge. It's necessary to drink about a liter and a half to two liters of water before receiving a traditional application of combo. Uh, toilet purges, pretty self-explanatory and emotional purges. It can just be very, very visceral, unexpected, just outpouring of emotion. All of this with the intention of locating and releasing toxic and parasitic energy. Now on a physical level, it's very easy to define actual physical parasites, things called enveloped viruses, which are viruses that grow biofilm to protect themselves, antibacterial resistant strains of bacteria, candida, yeast, SIBO overgrowth, things like that. Combo, especially the dermoceptin peptide in combo is extraordinarily, extraordinarily effective at releasing, curing, mitigating these physical aspects that lay us out of balance. Let's talk about mental emotional parasites. Uh, Much harder to find. We've kind of been talking about mental and emotional parasites the entire podcast. They are, again, those belief systems, Mm -hmm. those core beliefs, those inherited beliefs. A lot of times we've inherited this stuff from our parents. Um, Traumatic residue, um, the uh, ramifications of experience trauma. And what it does is it locates it with the intention of moving it out via one of these five purges. So it's a quick, short explanation, and I can certainly get way more in depth. Yes. And we will get in more depth uh, as soon as we come back from our break. Thank you for listening. I'm Christiane Belli, your intimacy architect. And my guest today is Edward Duell, and we will be just back in a moment. Think about how much sound you hear all the time. Noise, music, your own heartbeat. What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcin Bella. Visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. Are you tired of having the same fight over and over again? Is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other? 
before you call it quits. Do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159. are listening to Unbuckled with Christy Ann Bella. Reach out to Christy Ann with any questions or comments at intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. That's intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christy Ann welcomes your emails. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am Christy Ann Bella, your intimacy architect, and we are unbuckling the subconscious and all the stuff that comes with that. And our guest today is Edward Duell. Um, so right before the break, we were talking about combo and mm-hmm. the the way it, it both physically and emotionally gets in and just you know helps to uh, be a catalyst for purging all of these things. When um, because I think you know ayahuasca has become all the rage. Uh, things like mushrooms are actually legal in places like Oregon and stuff now. So when you're kind of looking at the the difference between um, a psychedelic approach to therapy um, versus something like combo, where do you see the the differences and and um, the benefits of of one in mm-hmm. in comparison to the other? Yeah, it's a great question, Christy. Um, I mean, one of the main obvious difference is that combo is not psychedelic at right. all. Um, and for it, it, one thing that's nice about my practice and about being a combo practitioner is it mitigates the tourists. There is a lot of, and th- what, you know, we call these entheogens, these healing plants, these plant medicines. There's a lot of entheogenic tourism. There are a lot of, there's a certain population of people who are attracted to these traditions um, that are collecting experiences. They want the fireworks of the quote unquote trip. You know, they, they want to hallucinate. They want to go. There is none of that with combo. You'd have to be crazy to do combo recreationally because it essentially makes you feel as sick as you've ever been for about 30, 35 minutes. It's just that afterwards you feel awesome because you're living without all this toxicity in your system. Um, so that is the main difference is that there is no psychedelic journey with combo and it is completely legal in every single state in America. It's completely legal. Again, you'd have to be crazy to do this recreationally. Now, the lack of any psychedelic qualities, I think is actually very relieving for a lot of people. And I certainly get um, a fair amount of clients who might be attracted to these entheogenic realms and into the healing, but they're actually don't want to, leave their minds like that they don't want to go into the other world you know they so combo at the very least it's very very visceral it is in the body and another beautiful thing about it is that when one is experiencing the purges in combo there is not usually a story attached to it Mm -hmm. so i serve what i call trauma-informed combo so i work anybody in my line of work is going to work with trauma it's absolutely inevitable So trauma-informed combo is a much slower, much softer approach to serving any uh, traditional shamanic medicine that has a reputation as being pretty heavy-handed and pretty young and pretty masculine. And there are many, many, many ways to approach the process of serving combo 
that can make it a lot more yin and a lot more feminine and is good for releasing trauma. And in this way, I think that, again, to take it back to the differences between the two, entheogens, ayahuasca, mushrooms, et cetera, they absolutely have the propensity for a person to relive very, very viscerally, relive what they are purging for suppressed memories to come up, repressed memories to come up. In combo, you have no idea. Nine times out of 10, the client has no idea what they are purging. They are just sick or crying or sweating or shaking to the point of convulsing. The integration tends to be where information is revealed. Other big differences are the time investment involved. It's a half an hour versus like six hours. Uh, you know, so that is a big one for some people. The legality is a big one for some people, you know, outside of a couple of churches that have uh, federal permission to move forward with these practices. Most of them are not actually legal. Uh, the combo is, as I've mentioned, um, I would say that those are the, the main, main differences, you know, without getting off on too much of a tangent with it. Um, and combo is certainly not for everyone, nor do I want it to be for everyone, right. you know, right. and I, I, I really, and I, my practice is pretty much 100% word of mouth. Uh, I'm don't have a very, very vibrant social media presence. I kind of just am here in my little Hogwarts tower doing my work and people come find me. Um, and again, it does have that built-in kind of litmus test because people that find their way to this type of um, approach, the combo approach specifically, they're doing work. They're 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 not they're not in this for the recreational aspect. They're not in it, and also the identity. Uh, there's a lot of, in my opinion, there is a lot of bypass in the spiritual community and in the entheogenic community of people who are really, really, really attracted to the identity, to the idea of being the type of person who does this type of work. And they are lacking in the application and the practice thereof. People, there's quite, there's a certain population of people who are really good at talking the talk and dressing the talk, less practiced at actually being that, what my teacher calls being the prayer. Mm, wow. That's powerful. Um, and in your personal experience, if, if you're open to share, um, I'm guessing you've, you've had psychedelic experiences and, and explored, um, what, what did you find? Because I know for me personally, like there were times when I was like, I was 16 and I was doing mushrooms and I went to like, you know, Disneyland <laughs> versus like sitting in a circle with other women and setting intention and, and praying and sobbing our eyes out and, and have, you know, it was a, a much different mushroom trip experience. Um, so how, how has your experience been in, in using it as a form of medicine? I mean, it's been life-changing. It's been absolutely profound. I've, I've had the opportunity to spend a fair amount of time in South America, uh, working with absolute maestros. Um, and I've, pursued uh, education in in this realm uh specifically as a coach i'm trained through an organization called being true to you as a plant-based addiction recovery coach and a psychedelic integration coach i did that training over five years ago so i've been really really involved in this in many aspects as a participant as a facilitator as a coach as an integration guide um i mean 
for me to get back to your question, my personal journey with it, I will say this. When the medicine first found me, I was calcified. I was calcified in a block of addiction and shame and guilt and lower frequency emotions and lower frequency habituations and life choices. And I wouldn't change any of them. I'm extraordinarily, extraordinarily grateful for the mud that produced the lotus of my practice. I wouldn't change any of it. And yeah, I've seen those rock bottoms. I've seen those dark corners of life. I've absolutely been through it. I've been through addiction. I've been through the lower frequency emotions. I've been through the poor life decision-making process. Absolutely. And the entheogenic medicines that came in were like master sculptors. Again, I was calcified in addiction, calcified in poor choices, poor decision-making, non-serving belief systems. And it was almost like these, not, and not only the plant medicines, but you know, my meditation teachers, my teacher in the Native American church, sweat lodges, men's work, all of these modalities that I really, really, just traditional therapy as well. They were like master sculptors coming along and just just carving me and who I am out of this block of shame, of guilt, of addiction, of low frequency that had enveloped me um, largely due to the, the way I was living my life in my 20s. Um, and it brought an element of majestic alchemy to my life that astounds me to this day when I am able to zoom out and go macro on my life, the amount of change that has happened in a relatively short amount of time and the way that spirit has uh, really guided and drawn me into the path of being a practitioner, a facilitator, a guide and a coach is truly, truly, truly astounding and, and one that I'm continually grateful for. And none of these medicines are panacea. There is no such thing as a magic bullet. Absolutely not. One of my first facilitators used to say this all the time, and I love this. People who were new to these practices would be kind of maybe nervously or anticipatorily asking questions on Friday, like, oh, hi, the big ones, how long does the ceremony last and when is it over? When does it start? He would always say the ceremony starts on Monday and it lasts for the rest of your life, i.e. life is the ceremony. It starts when you go home, apply it in real life. And that's where the integration is the work. The ceremony is a privilege. It is a privilege. And what I have learned in my path is that sometimes entheogenic plants are the right teachers. Sometimes it's a vision quest. Sometimes it's a meditation practice. Sometimes it's just being still underneath a tree. Sometimes it's putting the phone down. There's a lot of different ways to receive this, but it is about the practical application in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life. How are we conducting ourselves and managing our impact upon the environment around us, not only the actual environment, the physical environment, the emotional, mental environment? Are we leaving spaces better than we found them more often than not? And I mean that in our interpersonal relationships more than anything. That is the work. Ceremony is the bonus. Um, and it's all, I'm deeply, deeply, deeply devoted to integration and to soft landings and to creating actionable pathways for this work to be applied 
in game time and game time is real life. Ceremony is practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, if you're listening to this and think, you know, you could just like go do ayahuasca, take mushrooms or or find, you know, some frog to lick somewhere (laughs) is not going to be the, the, uh, that, you know, poof. And now your life is, is all rose colored joyful. Um, in fact, if anything, at least in my personal experience, having seen all of the stories and all the stuff and, and starting to unpack it, um, is just like, Oh, wow. Uh, just really reconciling with that, that part of you that was like cutting off your nose to spite your own face out of, out of want for safety, but the, the self-sabotage and just really having to like sit with that and confront and, and make these, householder, you know, every day. Yeah. Small, small steps in a different direction. Um, so I would love to dive in really quick. First, I, I loved the quote that you put. Um, I have everyone fill out these little forms before they, they come on and your quote, I'm like, I want to make this like t-shirts and bumper stickers. Don't believe everything you think. <laughs> Stay curious. Um, and I think that is just so true because our minds are brilliant and it could fucking convince us of anything good or bad or indifferent. Um, so yeah. So just, you know, being aware that you aren't solely your thoughts. Um, what was the moment for you when you realized that were you always a spiritual person or was there a turning point where it's like, Oh, I'm not just this body or these thoughts. There's, there's something bigger happening here. Oh my gosh. Um, honestly, yeah, there was like, I was, you know, I didn't have religion shoved down my throat as a child. So that helped a lot for me not having like a bitter taste in my mouth when it came to really embracing my spirituality and my spiritual path. Um, I work with a lot of clients who grew up in really dysfunctionally religious households where it's, they got some baggage to get over to get into the spiritual path. So I was lucky I didn't have that. I was a self-proclaimed atheist more as just, it just fit my punk ethos in my teens and twenties where I was like, I'm a punk man, fucking religion. Yeah. You know, I was just, I was a rebel. I wanted to, you know, I very much, my heroes were outsiders and I conducted myself accordingly. So I was fortunate enough to travel a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of third world travel uh, in my 20s and 30s, upwards of 70 countries. I got very um, fortunate to have a lot of opportunities and to really just choose that way of life. And I saw things out there that really tuned me into the majesty and wonder of life and also tuned me into how fortunate I am simply as an American not even getting into the fact that I'm a a white man in America, you know, which is again, more good fortune, more privilege, more privilege, you know? And so I did see a lot of these situations in the third world that got me thinking like, "Mm, there's something out here that's at work. The big, big turning point for me was, um, I had a good friend who was violently uh, murdered when I was in my mid twenties, barely in my mid twenties. And I had come back from an extended, uh, tenure in South America to attend his wake. And it's a longer story, but the moment at which I really got it was, uh, it was supposed to rain all day. We were at an outdoor park and I grew up in Niagara Falls, New York, a very small city. 
everybody knows each other. We were at an outdoor park. This tragedy had shaken the entire community. And it was supposed to rain all day. And it didn't rain. And it didn't rain. And it didn't rain. And then finally, just at the time that we were closing out the party, this giant clap of lightning came down from the sky. And it just opened up with rain. And, um, you know, we all, all of the guys played instruments. So we had the cover band on stage playing Three Little Birds, which was my, my friend who had been murdered. It was his favorite song. And I, I knew in that moment, like without a shadow of a doubt, I was like, that, that lightning strike was Mike. I have no doubt in my mind. It was just this feeling. I was like, that is Mike looking down on us right now and blessing us with this rain. Like the literally we were just wrapping things up. And, and that was, that was a long time ago. And that moment stuck with me where I was like, that was, that really cued my deep willingness to believe in something that, that I would call a higher power. Yeah. Um, so you do a lot of men's work and I suppose that means different things to different people. Tell me what that means to you. Idea of doing Men's work to me means sitting in skillfully facilitated containers in which the intention is to create well-conducted, facilitated, safe spaces for men to vulnerably, truthfully, and compassionately connect with each other with the intention of living a life of greater alignment with joy, with purpose, and with healing within, which is ultimately this source of healing without. I'm like, man, if we could just sprinkle that on every, <laughs> um, that is, wow. I, uh, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm, I'm just so taken. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, because I feel like, you know, there, there's a lot of, and, and I'll speak for myself here. Um, I certainly am still untangling a lot of anger towards men in general. Um, and I think in the wake of things like the me too movement and, and times up and stuff like that, there, there was this um, volatile, blame and shame and and even yeah with black lives matter this idea of like like being a, a hetero white cis male was like a crime um and and so the importance of men feeling safe and loved and honoring the beauty of their masculinity honoring the you know what that means to to have to have permission to have your feelings um and to have a he healthy safe way to express those feelings and, and feel integrated with um what that means to, to be in your masculine energy in a way that, you know, doesn't feel, uh, like a mask, I guess is, mm -hmm. um, what was a moment for you where you felt that integration in, in your masculine energy, masculinity that has helped you show up and, and hold that space for other people to, to find their way. I didn't have a choice. <laughs> it, that men, men's men's work for me was just it, it was just spirit pushing me that way my i had a i had a spontaneous and sober spiritual awakening at the age of 33 the first time i entered the temple at burning man which is the i mean it's the temple it's a non-denominational spiritual beacon at burning man i was dead sober i had no substances in my body outside of coffee and i walked into the temple for the first time which is significant because i would spend years volunteering in service as a temple guardian after this occasion 
and I saw a shrine. People will put shrines in the temple uh, to deceased loved ones. And there was someone had made um, life-size alphabet blocks, like those blocks that babies play with that have the letters on them. Life-size alphabet blocks. And it said, Daddy. And I looked at that shrine. I had been in the temple for less than 60 seconds at that point. And I looked at that shrine and this this small seed of pain and anguish and the agony of my father abandoning me from literally the moment I was born that I had shoved as deep into my being and my core as I could, that seed of pain germinated in that moment. Something inside of me broke and I wept inconsolably out of nowhere. I mean, it, like as sudden as a lightning strike or a snap of the fingers. And when I say inconsolable, I am not exaggerating. I was making a scene. I was inconsolable. And that experience in retrospect was a spontaneous spiritual awakening. And I left that temple knowing that I would not progress any further as a human being until I forgave my father for a lifetime of abandonment and neglect. And that was a mountain that I did not know how to climb. And I certainly did not think it was fair that I had to climb it. I thought it was bullshit, frankly. I was like, I have to forgive this man who caused me so much pain, so much anguish. I was so mad at him. I was so angry. That was the start of my path on men's work. That was everything. It was everything. That grow like growing up in that way like masculinity is hard on other people and masculinity mm. is hard on itself mm. it's hard on itself it is difficult and very very challenging to grow up as a boy in the west that is severely 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 lacking in examples of healthy masculinity. Yeah. We don't have a lot of them in the public eye at all. And it makes it hard on everyone. It makes it hard on everyone. So that was really the moment for me where I was like, okay, there's something here. And the men's work story is just a mystical path. After that, I, yeah. I got into it very, very green, just kind of following the breadcrumb trail and finding teachers and being a very active member of the Native American church, my teacher in the Native American church was integral in getting me deeper into this. And then since then, I mean, God, in the past three years, we've seen it's exploding on the West Coast. My men's group, Sacred Sons, has it's gone from an idea to an absolutely thriving international organization, thousands of men strong within three years. So it's um, the iron is hot right now, and it's absolutely time because uh, the masculine is suffering deeply. The life expectancy for men keeps going down every year. It's a crisis of despair, suicide, and addiction. And I feel very, very passionate about continuing to create these spaces in which men can come home to heal, to be vulnerable, to be truthful, to be who they really are, and ultimately to be better people with the intention of, of bringing out more of the inner essence of what I call the compassionate king which is the healthy, balanced masculine within that leads with compassion, that leads at the front edge of compassion. That's my vision. That is so beautiful. Thank you for showing up in that space. Yeah. Um, so I want to give everyone uh, ways to contact you. Um, you can reach Edward on Instagram at 
combo frog that's k-a-m-b-o-f-r-o-g and you have a retreat coming up next year march of 2022 yes i have a men's retreat coming up it's called combo brotherhood it's a rites of passage work so we're bringing in um it's an interesting container with uh many different uh components of traditional rites of passage work and the intrinsic teachings that combo brings with this modern men's work movement brought through it as well. So that's what that one is specifically for men. Uh, and I will have a course coming up next year as well. That is a, it's a core belief course. It is as yet untitled. I'm waiting for that really catchy title to come channeling through, but, and this will be for a co-ed group. Um, all humans and identifications are welcome. Um, going through the core beliefs of the chakra system. So from root all the way up to crown, each one is related, as you know, Christy, to different physical, mental, emotional, and psychological aspects that have core beliefs. So this is going to be a nine-week course in which I'll be taking a group of people through alchemizing and reorienting the core beliefs affiliated with each chakra system with the intention of creating a resonant alignment that allows for the person to be fully expressed in the best and highest way for themselves and for their communities. Oh, I love that. I'm looking forward to that. Um, well, yeah. once again, thank you so much, Edward, for being on. You can find Edward, uh, again, that's on Instagram at combo frog. K-A-M-B-O-F-R-O-G. And uh, I cannot recommend, I, I had you on specifically because your work has helped me so much. And I just really wanted to share what you do with the world because I know it's, it's not something, you know, I've been in every kind of form of therapy and never heard of theta healing and, um, and it was a game changer. So um, I'm incredibly grateful to know you and thank you for all the ways that you show up in the world. Thank you for the opportunity. I didn't even know you had a podcast until you invited me to be on it. And I was like, oh, great. Sweet. I love being on podcasts. So I'm really grateful. Thank you, Christy. My pleasure. So thank you all for listening. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect. And I'm grateful you joined us today as we unbuckled the subconscious. Blessings to you all. Thanks for listening. for listening to Unbuckled. You can join Christy Ann Bella for another program with amazing guests, stories, and advice every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to check out our new show coming soon. 